Hey guys, Ian here. Um, okay, so before we start, I would like to um, apologise for the fact that we've been away for a while. Um, in a way, completely my fault. Uh, basically, we recorded this show about two weeks ago, and um, I've been having some problems with my Skype recording software, so Mark very kindly recorded it and then, se- and then said he was going to send it to me. Um, I didn't... And the thing is... I don't check my Gmails anymore because I've got an iCloud address now. And uh, so I said to Mark, oh, have you sent it to me? And he said, yeah. And it was sitting in my Gmails and I completely missed it. So I can't even remember half the shit we talked about on this show. Uh, So enjoy. Um, But I'm pretty sure we like kind of mentioned, oh, yeah, next week we'll be doing blah, blah, blah and blah, blah, blah and whatnot. I will just say right at the start. Uh, next week there will be a show. Um, we, we should be back on an even keel, really. I know we keep on saying this, but we really should be. Um, but um, last week we, we weren't going to record anyway, but we were planning on getting this one out. Um, but on the, on the, the next show, uh, we're going to be doing a double review. We're going to be taking a look at the uh, documentary about Studio uh, Ghibli, The uh, Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, which is actually on uh, UK VOD now. Um, which uh, took me by surprise, and I was very pleased. I um, want to just, sorry, I'm just making sure Lottie doesn't press the off button on my computer. And uh, we're also going to be reviewing Kevin Smith's Tusk, uh, which is out on USBOD now. Um, we'll also uh, be doing the uh, the next part in the Scorsese Marathon. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Age of Innocence. We do actually mention that on the show. Uh, but yeah, here is uh, here is the show. Like I say, I, genu- I genuinely can't remember what we actually did on this one. Uh, but I'm sure it's great. Yeah. See you next week. I, I'm sorry, I can come back later. No, no, we were just... No, I, I'm, I'm heading out. Uh, <laughs> bye-bye, sweet pea. <laughs> you behave yourself, Peaches. Always. <laughs> oh, you guys are too cute. <laughs> I do love that handsome man. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity to work with you. Sure. Come on in. What would you like to rehearse? Oh, nothing specific. Just some general stuff. You just seemed a little tense out there. I thought maybe we could, you know, loosen you up. Why don't you take your sweater off? <laughs> oh, no, no, for a massage. <laughs> David will tell you, these hands are magical. Oh, <laughs> well, I don't really have anything on underneath, so... Oh, it's okay. It's just a couple girlfriends. And as always, I am joined by... Uh, Mark Foster, hello people. Yes, absolutely. Um, now, uh, first off, apologies if I sound a little bit bunged up. Um, it, that is me and not the, the, not the recording. Um, but I'm going to get nice and um, slightly mildly pissed um, while recording this. So uh, 
I hopefully that should free up the phlegm. Either that will make it a lot worse. So we'll see. It'll be a fun experiment. Um, coming up on this week's show, because of a combination of a, neither of us were particularly wanting to go out and see Mockingjay Part One. It, like, I like the Hunger Games films. I like. I just. I'm perfectly fine with waiting until Netflix for Locking J for some reason. Um, maybe because it's part one of a two-part finale. Yeah. Like, so it's just a bit like, well, I, I'm not that bothered about watching half the story at the moment. Mm, and I, I, I haven't actually even watched the second Hunger Games film yet, so I'm not exactly busting a gut to go and watch the, the third. There you go. And we were going to cover what we do in the shadows, but I, I'm going to talk about that later on. Uh, Mark just couldn't be asked to uh, <laughs> to make the effort to, uh, to to drive only from York to Sheffield. You know, that's no distance at all. No, it's only like an hour or so. So yeah, I, I could have gone there, but um, fuck it, I, I I decided against it. <laughs> yeah. So um, instead, Mark actually came up with uh, an, an interesting idea where. You know, for for this week's um, oh, what the fuck are we calling this marathon? <laughs> the near nope, the Capri nope, Scorsese yo, yeah, <laughs> uh, marathon. I'm really not happy about that. Um, uh, we're, we're we're doing um, the color of money, but um, you know, I, I, I like I, I was planning on watching the Hustler, and I think Mark kind of was as well. Yeah. Um, so Mark just suggested. Why don't we just like review the Hustler and the Color of Money? And the good thing is, there's plenty of separate stuff to talk about with both films. Yeah. So you know, like two, so two full reviews of um, the Fast Eddie Elsom, uh, Felsom Chronicles, um, which maybe that should be what I call this week's episode: the, the <laughs> Fast Eddie Felsom Chronicles. Chronicles. Yeah, I like that. The Chronicles of Fast Eddie Felsen. Anyway, yeah, so um, we'll be doing that, and we'll be splitting that up with a bit of uh, One Old, One New as well. Um, so, uh, Doodle Monkey, at G- and, and also Twitter questions and whatnot. Uh, Doodle Monkey at gmail.com, at Doodle Monkey, at Ian Loring, at Dude Foz. Um, and, Mark, anything to um, to kind of add at all? Or? Uh, no, no, it's been a fairly quiet uh, week on the old uh, movie news front, I think, this week, hasn't it? We haven't really had that much that much seem to happen. Mm. Apparently we're getting a Jurassic Park trailer on Thursday, um, but, you know, that's releasing that we're going to get a trailer five days away from the actual trailer, uh, which I find a bit strange. Yeah, and that's that little one as well, it was yeah. just, it was a little bit, okay, play up on the nostalgia, the shot of the dinosaurs looks a bit ropey, okay, right. Yeah. Brilliant, let's see what happens on Thursday, so we'll see what happens on Thursday. Um, and... I, I mean, I, I will mention that my, um, I, I, I sold my Region A player a few months back, and do you know what I bought this week? A Region A player? A multi-region Blu-ray player. Um, but hey, you know, never mind, it was what I wanted to do at the time, but, um, and I tell you what, it's actually kind of interesting, because it's, the player I had before was just a Region A player, because yeah. it's really, really hard to get multi-region blue, but, but. I found this Amazon seller who was selling it through Amazon, so it was Prime. Mm. So I ordered it on Friday. I picked it up from an Amazon locker on Saturday. And basically, it's a Samsung player where they've modded it so that you choose the region. It's not kind of multi-region as such, because you basically, when the player is off, you have to press (coughs) key 1 for region A, key 2 for region B, key 3 for region C. Mm. You press 1, and then the machine turns on. And it's a Region A player. And then you turn it off, you press 2, 
and it's a Region B player. So that's kind of how it works. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a US player, but it's dual voltage, and it's got a US plug, but with like a UK adapter. And uh, yeah, it works. Is there... Because um, I used to have a, a laptop um, that you could plug into um, your TV via SCART um, that was multi-region. This was back when it was DVD, before it was Blu-ray, um, that would act as a multi-region player. And you could actually just use it as a multi-region uh, DVD player. But you could only swap it between regions like twenty five times. This it's like they they like the company basically guarantee <sighs> this fucker is region free for life. That's that's pretty good. That how much was that? If you don't ask him, two hundred. Yeah, I'm not I'm not that I'm not that busting a gut to invest. <laughs> yeah, you see that it's basically I am using um, one of the websites I write for. I pay for reviews, so that in conjunction with not drinking uh, a week a month and then putting it on a credit card with a zero percent balance transfer uh, is how I'm doing it. So it's gonna it's gonna take me a while to pay it off, but. Um, the, the lure of Criteria and the lure of Screen Factory just became too much to resist again. And also, Snowpiercer, which we brought up on the show loads recently, I won a copy of Snowpiercer from a buyer on eBay oh. who bought it because he thought it would play in his Region B player. Ah. And it didn't, and he sold it, and I got it for £11. That's and it's the, it's the US um, Blu-ray, so it's like sweet. I'm, I'm going to actually have a copy of Snowpiercer on Blu-ray now, you know. So it's it things like that. I just I'm I'm back in the physical media big time, and you know think you know it, it's things like that that please me. And also, I bought Guardians of the Galaxy on Blu-ray. It comes out tomorrow, but um, Zabby chips it early, yeah. and like that film looks awesome on oh, Blu-ray. It really does look just, nice. It, yeah, and it would not look as good, it would not look as good as an iTunes file, it just, it wouldn't. That film is colourful and vivid and the bit rate alone it just would not look as good. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, back on the uh, the blue tip um, and uh, yeah, I probably, I don't think I'll be getting off until 4K now. <laughs> yeah, no, the the the, uh, the Guardians um, of the Galaxy Blue does look really, really nice. Mm, mm. Did you get the Steelbook? Uh, no, I didn't actually. Uh, I actually ordered the Steelbook, um, but it um, they cancelled my order. Do you know PBR Street Gang seventy three? It's that same thing, yeah. Yeah, on it's, Twitter and Instagram, he mm. had exactly the same thing, mm. and he's convinced that they basically oversold the Steelbook. Oh, they absolutely, they absolutely did that. That's two orders um, of um, Guardians of the Galaxy I had cancelled. I ordered it first time when it first went up for sale, but, um, uh, and then positive. it just got cancelled, and then I ordered it the uh, second time when it went back up and it had the last few remaining, and ordered it then. And it got cancelled again. Uh, also, as well, um, while we're on it, just quickly, um, I, I at one point I had a shitload of steelbooks on pre-order, um, and my card ran out. And what you couldn't do was you couldn't change the payment. Uh, so yeah, okay. what they what they told me to do, uh, cause I got in touch with them, uh, and they were actually, to be fair, they were actually quite helpful. And they said. Wait, because what it'll do is it'll fail the payment because the cards run out. It won't, it won't affect you. They won't charge you for the failed payment or anything like that because it's it's not like they're trying to take the money in their car. It's just the card details are wrong. Yeah. So, so what they'll do is they'll contact you and say we 
unable to take payment because the card details were no longer valid. And then you log in, you set up your new card, and then it pays for it via that. So your copy will still be held. So I went through my pre-orders list, got rid of a load that I didn't want, and kept a load that I did want. Uh, and then when one of them came up, I can't remember what it was now off the top of my head. Um, I can't remember which one it was because it was a couple of months ago. Um, but it was one that had pretty much sold out. It might have even been since eh? Um And then when it when it came up, it just said that um, the payment method we were unable to take payment and then just cancelled my order. On some of them it did that and on the ones it... On some of them it didn't do that. So whenever it happened, I checked. If the item was sold out, it just cancelled my order. If the item wasn't sold out, I could then re-go in and pay for it. Right, okay. So I think Xavier are just escaping a little bit on that getting so many made, but taking more orders than they've actually got made, and then dealing with it when they're after. I mean, I don't see why they couldn't have just, like, emailed and said, right, we are sorry about this, we we have over-subscribed, or we're having, even if they just said we're having problems manufacturing the, the, the amounts or something, Yeah. if you want to keep your order open, we will try and get this to you as soon as possible within the next few weeks. If If not... You know, if we don't hear from you within a week, we'll cancel the order. You know, job done. You know, instead of just cancelling people's orders and not really giving a reason, it's, um, that is, that is dodge. That is dodge. Yeah, it's not cool, is it? No. And, um, yeah, I I mean, it's a shame as well, because that Guardians of the Galaxy steelbook is gorgeous, and I didn't know there was a steelbook until last week, and I looked at it, I was like, fuck. Yeah, it is nice, isn't it? But the um, but I am going to be going to HMV to pick up the Dawn on the Planet of the Apes steelbook tomorrow, which looks amazing and is so much better than the cover art on the normal Blu-ray. Yeah, it does look nice. Um, but yeah, I don't, it, I don't know that, that kind of customer service stuff. It just, I don't know. Amazon are tax avoiders, but fuck me, are their customer service amazing? Yeah, well, to be honest, actually, I I cancelled my Amazon Prime was due to uh, oh, yes, renew um, today, um, and I I looked over it um, and sort of thought, right, well, I, I quite simply, I don't watch Amazon Prime. I just I don't. It's there, and occasionally I look at it, but I've maybe I've maybe watched four or five movies, and I watched Bait as the TV series. Other than that, I've watched nothing on it. So I'd look back over my Amazon uh, purchases um, to see, right, what is it worth it for that? And I made maybe 25 purchases this year, but I looked at it and worked out that two out of those 25, that was 25 prime purchases, two out of those 25 actually arrived the next day. The other 23, it took three, four days to arrive. And I just thought, do you know what? Fuck it. If I start using it more, I'll get it. But it's very rare I ever buy anything that I need the next day. It's usually pre-order shit. Yeah, I mean, we we use our Prime a shitload. Yeah, uh, I, I, I rarely use it. So, I mean, I, it, 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 it's, it's going to be interesting hours... Ours renews in January, and it's like, is £79 just too spicy a meatball? I mean, we will we will find out, I suppose. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I, it's £79, man. I know they include Prime Instant Video with that, but it's like, if you're not going to use it, that is a lot of money. 
I mean, Christ, if you weren't using Netflix and you were just using that £79, is an amazing deal. Yeah. But, it, it, yeah, it... I, wish, I do wish they had an option to not include instant video, but then I just think their uptake of instant video would decrease to a ridiculous extent. Exactly, that's the, that's the problem, yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, well, uh, we got the tangents out of the way pretty quickly this episode, <laughs> so fucking hell. Uh, so, uh, alright, so trailers. Shit, we haven't even talked about trailers yet. Christ alive. Uh, uh, Mark, go ahead. Yeah, only only a couple, to be honest. Uh, the trailer for the um, sequel to Pitch Perfect, Pitch Perfect 2, uh, mm-hmm. I'm titled. Uh, now, Pitch Perfect was one of the ones we talked about, was it last year, was it the year before? I think it was the year before. I think it was the year before, wasn't it? Where it, it it kind of did. It kind of did a lot in America. It didn't seem to do that much over here. It, 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 you know, and it was a strange one when it got released. We spoke about it, and both of us kind of were surprised at how much we, you know, didn't dislike it. I wouldn't say I didn't dislike it, but yeah. I still didn't like it that much. Yeah, and I, I was in that way. I was very much. Do you know what? It it was perfectly all right. I'll never watch it again. But I have I have no real negative feelings towards it. Um, watched the Pitch Perfect 2 trailer and I made it, it's a two and a half minute trailer, I made it about a minute and a half in before I went, yeah this is too insufferable, it's going off. And it just went off because it it just seemed like everything that I didn't really get on with um, about Pitch Perfect is going to be Pitch Perfect 2. And I thought, fuck it, no way. Um... Two stars, the occasional funny moment and a paciness which belies its near two-hour runtime aside, this just wasn't for me. Anna Kendrick is rather badly miscast as a mashup artist who almost randomly starts singing a cappella. None of the characters are all that likeable and the song sequences do stray into glee territory. And for a 28-year-old male such as myself, there's not much here. Yeah. The sequel, I actually thought the trailer wasn't that bad. Um... It, there were bits in it that made me laugh. I, I'm not going to see this in the cinema. I'm, I'm not going to see this in the cinema. It's not happening. But I will likely watch it on the small screen, hopefully with a couple of drinks, and maybe I'll get something out of it. I, I don't know. I, I, I was unoffended by the trailer, but I'm already a little bit wary of people going mental over it, just killing it for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm a little bit like... When was this change when Anna Kendrick went from being sort of sweet and lovable to being a, a bit too cocky in everything? Uh, Scott Pilgrim? Yeah, I think it was probably about that. And I just am a little bit, yeah. Um, the next one I watched uh, was the Lightning with Intent one. Um, again, it, it looks very Sundancey. You've got Marissa Tomei, Sam Rockwell, and a bunch of other people who I'm guessing probably feature in sort of American TV shows uh, that I don't recognise, uh, where it, they look like they've gone to someone's house and filmed it there. Uh, it looks very much like that. It's one of those where it'll end up on Netflix, and I'll watch it on Netflix one night. Mm. Um, Son of a Gun, Hugh um, McGregor tries to remind people that he still exists, uh, despite the fact that nobody has said in the past two or three years, <laughs> hey, what happened to Hugh McGregor? Because, frankly, nobody fucking cares. Uh, looks really fucking dull, uh, that movie. Uh, and The Age of Adeline. Uh, have you seen this trailer? I have not. Oh, oh, it's bad. Uh, Blake Lively, um, 
stars in it with uh, Harrison Ford and a few other people. Uh, Blake Lively plays a woman who, it's it, what it seems like from the trailer, it seems like she, um, when she's 25, she has a car accident and is struck by lightning, and that means that she can't age now. What, so, at the same time? Yeah. She has a car accident. What, what, what happens first? Not right. She has a car accident where she drives a car over the edge of a bridge, lands in a river, and then gets hit by lightning. Is what seems to happen. That's and a rough day. Right? But now she can't age, so she will always look like 25-year-old Blake Lively oh, uh, as she gets older, but everybody else ages around her. And that's how terrible it is. And she just, so she has to become, like, she has to create all these new identities uh, for herself every few years to cover the fact that she can't age and all this. And it, it oh my God, it looks so horrible. The, tra- it, the trailer is just, it's got all this really like atmospheric music, just like really fucking heart-tugging music, just building and building and building and building as you're watching it going, really? Fucking really? Well, that's a film I'll never watch. Yeah, and I, I was watching it going, going how, why does Harrison Ford look like for once he's interested in something and it's this piece of shit? Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, other than that, I didn't really catch anything else. Uh, Cinderella, that's the only one I saw. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I didn't. I, 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 I hovered over watching that and then I didn't. <laughs> you know what? I mean, like, I, I, I didn't think Maleficent was actually that bad. I, I, I wasn't a massive fan of Maleficent, but I thought it was okay. So. You know, I'll I'll give Cinderella a watch, but again, like with Maleficent, I like, like I was talking about going to see it at the cinema, and Don was like, oh, I'd like to see that, and I just I just said, well, you know, I'll just wait until it's out on Blu-ray or whatever, and then I'll just watch it, watch it with you at home. And I was the same with Hunger Games, and I'm exactly the same with Cinderella. Like I've got no massive interest in seeing it in the cinema whatsoever. Uh, you know, so unless I mean, if Don if Don says, oh yeah. I'll go and see that on the big screen. I'll, I'll take her out to go see it. But, you know, beyond that, no, nah, I'm not interested. Um, whatever. I, I, it just, I, there's, there's nothing in it for me. But then it's not, it's not made for me. It's not made for you. It's probably not made for most of the people who, who listen to this show, frankly. So, you know, it, it just, at least with Maleficent, you had Angelina Jolie, who, like, fucking ate up that role. Like, she is really, really spot on for that role and she gives it her all there you know and yeah. um where where whereas with this it just it's a girl i don't know who she is and Kate blanchett's the wicked stepmother and you know that could be okay i suppose even though i know you hate Kate blanchett yeah. um we're gonna voice we're gonna voice uh which is kind of pretty much what she's doing here yeah uh, so what she can do yeah so um all right uh so two and a half minutes of yeah, all right, that will make $700 million worldwide and disappear into the night. Yeah. You know, uh, but yeah, so that was it for me. Um, okay, so let's get into it then, because um, I don't know, I've probably only got about an hour, hour and a uh, quarter at a push, so uh, we better get into this shit. So let's take a trailer from uh, The Hustle. And uh, we'll talk about I don't know the hustler, Jesus. <laughs> and then we'll talk about the hustler. Hello, 
I could always buy a bottle of the scotch. What do you want me to do? Just step out in the alley? Is that it? Big John, do you think this boy is a hustler? troubles, and I think maybe you've got troubles. Maybe it'd be better if we just leave each other alone. I got my things over at the hotel. I'll bring them over later. Come here. I'm not sure. I don't know. Well, what do you want to know? And Why? You're hearing a rain check, and I know it. You're hanging on by your nails. Let that glory whistle ring out loud and clear for Eddie, and you're a wreck on a railroad track. Your horse had finished last. Now, don't make trouble, Miss Ladybug. Live and let live. While you can. You tell your boys, they better kill me, Bert. They better go all the way with me. Because if they just bust me up, put all those pieces back together again, and then so help me. So help me, God, Bert. I'm going to come back here and I'm going to kill you. The Hustler is directed by Robert Rossum. Yeah, Ross, Ross Rossum, yeah. Rossum. And uh, stars Paul Newman, uh, George C. Scott, um, uh, Jackie Gleason, and Piper Laurie. Um, the Hustler is the story of Fast Daddy Felson, played by uh, Paul Newman, a, um, a kind of a hot shot who likes to go around Paul Halls and uh, hustle people for money. Um, he tries to kind of prove himself by uh, trying to defeat... Um, Minnesota Fats, played by Jackie Gleason, and when he finds himself essentially humiliated by that, he uh, basically finds himself in a bit of a crisis. Uh, he meets uh, Sarah, I think her name is, uh, yeah. a, a damaged young woman played by uh, Piper Laurie, <laughs> and begins a relationship with her, but when George C. Scott's Bert, uh, a kind of a, 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 a dodgy guy who kind of uh, manages uh, Paul Hustler's um, kind of comes into his life. Uh, essentially, things get fucked up, and his life will never be the same again. Uh, so, the Hustler. Um, I had seen this once before, um, and I was very much looking forward to re- rewatch. We will start with Mark. Uh, Mark, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'd seen it once before, but I- I'd seen it. God, um, it must be twenty odd years ago. Uh, because I remember watching it with my granddad, um, 
So my granddad died when I was 12. Um, so it must have been, let's say, 20 odd years ago since I watched this because it was, wow. uh, I, I think I must have been about nine or something like that. Um, so I, I, I watched it then. It had been, it had been a long time instead. We spoke about, I wanted to rewatch because I wanted to go into The Colour of Money because, like I said, I'd, I'd seen The Colour of Money about seven or eight years ago um, and had completely forgotten when I watched The Colour of Money that, oh, God, yeah, it, it's certainly a sequel to The Hustler. Um, so I, I hadn't kind of... I wanted to make those connections and have the, 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 the Hustler fresh in my mind when I went through uh, The Colour of Money. And the first thing that I was struck by is is how clearly um, The Hustler has influenced many Scorsese movies it felt, The Hustler itself as a movie um, felt quite kind of Scorsese-esque in places you could certainly see that it's a film that Scorsese will have looked at and, and you know I think he lived in what, 1920 when it came out so he'll have probably been um, in film school around that time anyway um, but it's also, it's a it's a strange thing I, I I noticed very early on and actually kind of clocked it and waited until the first female character spoke because I wanted to see how long it was because I was about 20 minutes in and I thought there's not a single female character has actually said anything yet and it was it was just shy of 40 minutes before a female character actually speaks in the film and I just thought that it's quite strange this, this movie is you know what um 50 odd years old now and it, you just you wouldn't be able to get that anymore I don't think in a modern movie it, it, it'd have to there'd have to be something there because people would get prickly about it so it's quite interesting I think this is like probably the probably the oldest movie we've ever reviewed actually on the on the show um, and it, it's great seeing somebody with that ultimate charisma that, that Paul Newman has and it's it's all quite stagey and setty and it moves between certain places where it'll settle on a certain place and go right we're going to stay here for 20 minutes yeah, and then we're going to move here for 20 minutes and then we're going to move here for 20 minutes <coughs> and then we're going to move here and it, it, it plays with that really really well it's all quite stop go stop go so yeah and I, I, I was very much enjoying the uh, revisiting it yeah what, what are your thoughts on your revisit yeah I mean I, I think it's a pretty much a perfect film yeah um, I'd, I'd agree on that one yeah yeah I mean it, it, it's absolutely the structure of it is sublime the the way it almost kind of feels like there are just like individual vignettes through the mm. film but they, they all are of a piece and all are of a whole. Because, I mean, apart from, like, some transitionary scenes where they're kind of going from place to place, like you say, it, it, that's a good point, that, that it is all in the wrong pl- in the one place. Because, I mean, that before the, the first woman speaks, essentially, it virtually, opening scene aside, is all set in that pool hall yeah. where it, it's playing against Minnesota Fats. And I love... I, I, I love that that whole sequence and what it does to Eddie. And I mean, basically, what you see in in both films are basically moments in Fast Eddie's life where he has some sort of emotional crisis. Uh, it's about the like really big turning points in Fast Eddie's life, and virtually all of them happen in a pool hall. Uh, uh, it, 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 I, I, I think that's fascinating. I mean, you've got Newman here, who is unswervingly confident and cocky for parts of the film, 
but insanely kind of damaged in others as well. And it's, um, I mean, it's it's a brave old performance as well from Newman because he he's a guy who's kind of known as being the charismatic suave, uh, charismatic suave one. So when he does have his down moments, and I mean, you said stagey earlier on. I mean, I I do think that some his drunk acting is a bit overblown. It, it's a like I mean, there's there's a moment where he's kind of staggering towards uh, Minnesota Fats. I think it's just before, um, it's just after Minnesota Fats says, like, that. that's it, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he's kind of staggering towards him, and it's a bit, yeah, but it's it's of yeah. the time. That's the thing, you know, it's, it, it, I mean, it's very much of the time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, the, like the, the structure of it, the fact that, like, the first third and the last third are very, Paul uh, oriented and then the middle third is this really weird relationship between Eddie and Sarah where she I mean like you, you could look at it now I mean like you say like the whole kind of no woman character speaks by the first third of the film and that's a problem you could look at it now and say that Sarah her character could be a bit of a, a bit of a problem but it's basically when Eddie meets her it's already as if she's kind of like at a low ebb and she she basically bets it all on Eddie and loses. Yeah, it's one of those where Eddie doesn't bring her down. She's already pretty... She's already down. She's already down. Uh, Eddie just... They, they both get what they need out of each other, which is just somebody to share the misery with. And then when he... When she notices that there's nothing beyond this misery with Eddie and that it, that she isn't, he might be her idea of redemption, but she's not his idea of redemption. That that's when it all just gets too much for, for her, um, in it. And, you know, in fact, we can go fucking spoilers. It's a 50 odd year old movie. Um, so you, you do have, uh, that there where he just, she, she just loses in it. She just, it, 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 it's the final fucking straw for her. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, the, that, the whole kind of like 20 minutes or so before she kills herself, the inevitability of what is to come mm. is just, it's the worst. It's, it's really palpably painful that you, you know, he's not going to have a realization and he's going to, he's going to, sweep her into his arms you know he is fixed on his goal oh yeah damn everything else and i mean it's i i mean i mean the the, the george c scott character what what he's doing there it just you know he's this weirdly just broken guy who just it's all money and nothing and, and nothing else and he just but he just seems to play with her like a cat playing with his food. It's it's I George C. Scott is so fucking nasty in this, but in, is, a, in, yeah. a, in not in a showboaty way at all. No, really it's, understated. It's not in like a it's not in a villainous way. He's just he's just a prick. It's just like an everyday arsehole. Yeah, um, and you know he, he he quite simply does use everybody in it. 
you know, the fact that even when you, you, you have the brilliant um, scene towards the end where um, Eddie goes back to play uh, Minnesota Fats again, and you've got Jackie Leeson just sat there, and he's kind of just, he's almost sort of saying, Eddie, just, just, just pay him, and he's... He can see the fact that this is, you know, that he's he's essentially a pawn in this. In Paul Newman's no longer playing Minnesota. Uh, Eddie Valdez, sorry, he's no longer playing Minnesota Flats. Mm-hmm. He's playing George C. Scott through him, and it, 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 it's that. And so he's just kind of started going, "Look, you're better than me. You you've beaten me. You might be better than this guy, but you won't beat him." Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, even even the end of the film where mm. you know Eddie, like basically he he kind of he wins the the moral victory, and te- I mean he wins the game of pool, but at the at the same time he's kind of he's he's also lost. Yeah, uh, you know everything just through what Bert's done to him essentially. I mean, the, the ending of the film is, and it's just something you would not get anymore at least not in a kind of like a 20th century fox released film starring like i mean who's the equivalent of paul newman these days you know like like. in terms of actual equivalent star power i I would say you'd be fuck you'd be looking at you'd be looking at somebody big wouldn't you yeah you know i mean what i was hit through all the way through it was he has a it is amazing how, and I'm not comparing the two in terms of uh, of acting ability and, and anything like that. But I was watching, him going, "Fuck!" He, he, Miles Teller does have a fucking ring of Paul Newman about him sure. to an extent. It's the, the it's, it's from the nose down. He has a he has a very, a very similar sort of facial from like from the tip of the nose going down there. But I would say you'd probably be looking at somebody. I mean, Newman was also, as well as being, you know, respected and an Oscar-nominated actor, he, he also had a big draw and he was a big fucking star as well in, in in the, you know... I mean, this is this is a guy who was in the early stages of his career as well. Uh, you know, he'd only made sort of four or five films, you know, where he'd been a, a, a star of them. Sort of four or five films at this point. So, it's, you know, you'd probably be looking at somebody equivalent now... I don't know. It, it, it's hard because that. I mean, it, this brings a broader issue. The fact is now is you know we're, get, we're getting back to that point where the actors aren't the aren't the, the massive stars anymore. It's the, the effects or the prestige pictures become the things because you could say somebody like Chris Pratt, for instance, um, because you know been around for a while but really starting to make a break. But to be honest, if you look at it, Chris Pratt probably wouldn't be able to open a movie. Mm. If it was just a Chris Pratt movie, if it's Chris Pratt in Jurassic Park Five, that's different. But you know, it, it, this is you know, a story movie. I mean, this this cost I think just in, uh, just over two million, I think it was, mm. which for nineteen sixty one puts it as a decent sized budget movie. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's I don't know. It just like I don't think I mean if there was a remake of The Hustler it would not end in the way it does here and I mean I'm not saying that films don't end with like weird, weird downbeat but like not suit like downbeat but uh, quietly downbeat kind of films like I mean Gone Girl I think does that kind of thing very yeah. very well where it's just sort of like it's a weird wrap up where on the face of it it kind of seems like yeah, all right, but then you dig just a little deeper, and it's like, oh no, 
and I mean that that's that's what it is here and I mean there's the, the, I think uh, personally there's a conversation to be had with the film we're going to talk about later but um, uh, with regards to uh, the interpretation of the ending but it's it just it, it's a very it's a very entertaining film and when he's on his charming and cocky kind of way you you do want you do want to watch him yeah it's one of those where it comes in again i suppose a lot of what i'm what i'm saying about it is looking at it from the eyes as much from the sequel but you do see it again in terms of the story it is that classic you know this guy you've got your cocky you know protagonist and you know his downfall is himself and his own ego and then he has to rise back up We've seen that in in Scorsese movies. He, that's something he does. Um, but you've got it here. This 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 complete sort of original version of this template that's now been used by Scorsese. That's gone on, got on to be used by fit people who've been influenced by Scorsese, which is pretty much anybody who grew up in the seventies uh, and has gone on to make movies. Uh, so it, it is amazing to see how good this movie is. And I was watching it going. Fucking hell, why, why is it taking me 20 odd years to rewatch this? It's fucking wonderful. That opening sort of 35, 40 minutes where he's playing uh, Minnesota Facts is just absolutely magnificent filmmaking. The fact that it, it plays with time, so it's running through quite a lot of time, but it, it spends its time watching it and you, you essentially, you see Eddie Felson, you know, is, he starts off, he's just enjoying watching uh, Jackie Gleason play and, you know, he's kind of enjoying just the, the thrill of actually being there and playing against him. And then he goes, he kind of shakes himself out of it and goes, all right, you know what, I'm ready to fucking beat him now. And then he beats him down to the point of where he knows he's got him and his cockiness just gets away from him. Mm. And Jackie Gleason has almost almost hustled him at the time and gone, yep, yeah, you're beating me, you're beating me, you're beating me, you're beating me at the game, but I'm going to beat you at the long game. And just, I mean, yeah, go on, sorry. The, the, I mean, the thing is as well with that is the fact that, like, Jackie Gleason's not even doing that much of a hustle on him. It's just, mm. it's just like, well, yeah, you are beating me now. You know, uh, you know, you can keep going if you want, but in the end of the day, I'm going to win. Yeah. And he, he, I mean, he's being very, he, to be fair, he's been quite straight with him, really, where it's just like, you know, yeah, all right. I mean, he's not lulling him into a false sense of security. Oh, no. It, it, like, it's not like Jackie Gleason was hiding the fact he was good. He's good. It's just he, it, it, slow and steady wins the race. Yeah, and it, it's that, and that whole thing is, it's just magnificent filmmaking. It just, it looks great. And then, then the rest of it, that's where you move more into the, you know, you look at him and it, it all he's got is just this goal of getting back there and not making the same mistake again. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, his his determination is is a hell of a thing. And but then, I mean, you've got like the middle of the film where it, it's basically him, yeah, getting his thumbs broken, and then trying to find out the person he broke, like he broke his thumbs, and then you know George C. Scott comes into it, and you know, I, I mean, again, I mean, we've already talked about George C. Scott, but it just. The middle of the film as well, the way that it's kind of playing off the, the you know, the devil on his, his shoulder with George C. Scott and also his, his relationship with Sarah. It, it, it's the, watching him and Sarah just talk and, you know, kind of wallow in their, in their kind of isolated 
you know, that all, like in her apartment or whatever it is, and like she like pretty much says to him straight away every time, oh, "Do you want a drink?" Mm. Yeah, you know, it, it's there, there's there's quiet character stuff there, and I love the fact that she never like gets into histrionics. There's never any massive confessional scenes or whatever. It's all very very matter of fact, mm. and um, it, it there's. I don't know, there's a directorial subtlety there just to let the, the actors do their quiet work and it and it just really pays off and it, it amps things up and you know, by by the end of the film when she like lets George C. Scott fuck her and you know, it, you know you know what's gonna happen. Yeah. And, and then but then Newman's reaction, you know, he he breaks down and he he, he like punches Bert and whatnot and then it just like fades out and it fades back into the uh to the pool hall. You know, and I mean, you've got you've got the end of the film, and I love the way that you know Jackie Gleason is just—he's not a bad guy in it. In the end of the day, he just seems to be a guy who likes playing pool. Yeah, and you get you get the feeling that that he he probably doesn't even make that much fucking that much money out of it. It's all yeah. it's it's just he has George C. Scott there to bankroll him if he ever needs it. Yeah, yeah, it's um. I don't know. I don't. I don't have much more. To no, say I think I, I, I'm pretty much done it. It, it, yeah, it, it. It's definitely not shit. Yeah, it's most definitely not shit, and um, yeah, it's it's one I I need to be watching again uh, sooner. I mean, it's only been a couple of years since I first saw it, but I, I you know, I'm looking forward to watching it again already. Yeah, very very much so. So um, okay, so we're going to take a break for some promos, and uh, when we get back, we will get into some one old, one new. In a world without adventures and VHS, the book <laughs> comes a world with adventures and VHS, the book. Every journey begins in the mind. We're in trouble, Gary. In 2013, Noel Miller embarked on a series of VHS adventures that shook the world of podcasting to its very core. He's the kid everyone used to pick up. Now, through the power of the written word, he's back and ready to take those adventures to a whole new level. Described by its overzealous publisher as high fidelity for the video rental generation. And described by Mondo Movie Podcast Dan Audie as bringing the half-forgotten days of 80s video rental stores vividly back to life. It's Adventures on VHS is an immersive trip to a long-forgotten era through some of the films that define it. An experience too terrifying Available to buy now from AdventuresOfVHS.com with a whole host of fabulous full-color editions showcasing the glorious cover art of the VHS era. The story of one man's disturbing romance with an obsolete format and the weird and wonderful films that shaped his love of movies. And if this person is listening to my voice, I urge him in the name of law and order to desist from this one-man crusade. Adventures of VHS, the book. Buy it today. I'm going to kiss you. Your very life may just depend on it. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I've ever encountered in any film. We're well, in luck. 
Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really it's isn't. not visually striking. No. I just just getting confirmation. It's just in, that's the third time though. I mean I must this is on. You can find us at csvsp.libson.com. So come and share the bit true. If you could f- any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody <laughs> He looks like somebody who can keep a keep a secret. Okay, we are back. It's one old, one new time. And Mark, let's start us off, sir. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, I'm going to start off with my my one old. Uh, I'll start off with. Um, watch this on. When will it have been? Thursday night. Uh, Becky usually works Thursday nights, but then said she should come home. She was getting home early, so I said I want to watch something that's really engaging and quite kind of. You know, it's got a lot to it, but he's a thriller. Um, so I should have flicked through on um, Netflix when she was on her way back and came across um, Alan Parker's Mississippi Burning and thought, oh, I haven't watched that in a, in a fair amount of years. That's quite gripping and there's, there's bits on there. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a, a lot of weight to it. Um, but it'll, you know, it's entertaining. It'll pass the time. You know, it's, it's a good film. Um and it wasn't until about sort of 20 minutes into it. And for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Mississippi Burning is um, set in the mid-60s uh, in Mississippi, funnily enough, um, in Jessup County, actually. Uh, it's partially based around some kind of facts, but it is very loosely based around it. Where essentially you have um, three activists, um, sort of civil rights activists, are go missing. Um, one young black kid uh, and two young Jewish kids. Uh, and you have uh, two FBI agents go to investigate this, these missing uh, people. One of them played by Gene Hatman, uh, who is used to be a sheriff in a small Mississippi town, and one of them played by Willem Dafoe, who is uh, your, is in charge essentially, and he's but he's a college boy who has made a big way up, and he has a, a huge belief in the uh, the civil rights movement. Uh, as soon as they get to Jefferson County, they find that essentially this is a very clan-heavy stronghold um, part of Mississippi, and, and they have to not only fight the locals to get information, but it seems like the, the sheriff's office are very much involved in the disappearance of these three uh, activists. Um, straight away, both Hatman and Defoe assume that they've been killed, uh, and that the Sheriff's Department, which includes Brad Duriff uh, in a wonderful role, uh, are, are in on it. Uh, Willem Dafoe goes fucking full in and starts calling in hundreds more officers, and they get heavily into it, and the whole town essentially gets dragged into the whole thing. And it was about sort of 20 minutes in that I, I, I sort of remembered, oh, God, yeah, this is an Alan Parker movie when he was making really fucking heavy movies, mm. and was reminded that Mississippi Burning is... A really fucking. There's no punches pulled at all. He goes thoroughly fucking full out with it, does Parker, and it, it's it's one of those films where it, it's it's 
often incredibly uncomfortable to watch, to be honest. Uh, whereas, you know, you're seeing just how shitty people can be to each other and how ridiculous the idea of, um, racial segregation actually is. And you're looking back at it and going, well, you know, this, this film is, is set three years after the movie we were just talking about was made. <laughs> Mm. Um, so it, it's not that long ago that this was set and that these um, these ideas and these things actually still happened. Um, it, it's one of those films where you've got some great performances, including Gene Hackman just being generally Gene Hackman. He, he's an actor that, you know, you... you you know, he retired and nobody seemed to really kind of notice, but it's only when you start going back through his body of work that you actually realise, fucking hell, you know, there are, I would say he's one of the few actors where there are very, very few duds in his, um, (coughs) in his back catalogue, certainly, and certainly between, I would say, the early 70s um, to sort of, I would say, the early 90s, even the ones that people haven't sort of heard as much through, like things like Bat 21, things like that, are really entertaining movies. And he's he's fantastic in this role. Um, Willem Dafoe's great as well, playing this really overzealous sort of arrogant, cocky kid. And then you've got Francis McDormand in a in a very early role as well. And there's there's I'm not going to go too much into it because I think it's a film that that people should really, if they haven't seen it, you should really unsee. But it's it's just. It's, there's a lot of fucking weight behind it, and I could see it being quite an uncomfortable film to watch. You know, Becky, sort of, it was the first time she'd ever seen it, and she said, you know, it's actually quite uncomfortable to watch in places. I've never seen it. Have you so, not? Um, no. Uh, I, I'll be honest, I was sl- trying to actively slightly tune out during that, because I, so I do apologise, but I wanted to kind of go into it. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I've given away very little about what happens, to be honest. But what I would say is, uh, also as well, um, it's shot uh, by Peter uh, Bazil, um who also shot... Um, He's got some funny ones. Uh, he did like Time Bandits and Nine and a Half Weeks, but then he did like Mississippi Burning and City of Joy and The Road to Wellville and The Truman Show. Uh, and City of Joy is another, that's a fucking strain of the Patrick Swayze movie, the uh, Roland Joffey movie. Um, that's a fucking, oh, that's a bleak movie. Um, I think that one, if I remember correctly, that's about a missionary that, um, that deals with leprosy. Um, so you know he's got he's he's got history covering fucking bleak stuff. But yeah, it, it's one I definitely say watch. But it's it's not one to sit and watch for a couple of beers. I'll say that. Mm. One day. Yes. Uh, go on then. Hit uh, us with your uh, one old or one new. Okay, so um, because you just did your old, I will do my new. And uh, so my new is uh, as uh, mentioned earlier on. <coughs> Pardon me. Sorry. Um, what we doing? Uh, what we do in the shadows? So uh, this came out this past week um, in uh, I think fair, like fairly limited release um, un- un- unfortunately, but uh, it's uh, written written by uh, Taika Waititi and uh, Jermaine Clement, uh, Jermaine Clement of um, Flight of the Concords. I think Taika Waititi had stuff to do with Flight of the Concords as well, and uh, it, I think it's directed by Watiti, but I don't think Clement directed it, but I might be wrong there. Um, they're ba- both credited. 
Oh, they are both credited. Okay, yeah. fair enough then. So, uh, yeah, basically, this is a vampire mockumentary, essentially, where a camera crew are invited into a, a, a vampire flat share in Wellington in New Zealand. And um, there are basically four of them that, um, who live in there. Um, you've got uh, kind of like a slightly kind of romantic vampire You've got um, a kind of more Bram Stoker's Dracula kind of vampire, called Mike, more like a Gary Oldman seductive type one, uh, played by Jermaine Clements. Um, you've got uh, you've got a Nosferatu uh, type one as well, who lives in the uh, basement and shrieks. Um, and you've got um, uh, another one who um, Deacon, who's a kind of a mix between the Bram Stoker one and the romantic one. Um, and basically, it, it follows them about um, they. Who, who is that guy? Uh, oh yeah, basically, they have a victim arranged for them, and uh, he is actually turned into a vampire. And uh, he brings along a human friend of his, uh, Stuart, um, who's an IT technician. Um, and basically. Like those two being brought into this household dynamic kind of ruptures things, uh, and also around you have uh, Reese Darby who plays a, 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 an alpha male of a pack of werewolves, uh, who he tries to keep keep them calming down and uh, proclaims that they're werewolves, not swearwolves, because he believes that um, them swearing just gets them more agitated. Uh, I didn't sell it very well at all there, but um, it's it's really very 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 good. Um, it's been it's been pretty hyped uh, for the last little while, and I was going into it thinking, "Oh, fuck, here we go again," you know. Um, yeah. Uh, but it, it actually, I genuinely really, 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 really enjoyed it, and it would be. It would be fighting it out with 22 Jump Street for my funniest film of the year, uh, genuinely. Um, Alright. Yeah. Um, it's ri- it's very charming. Um, and there's some really... The thing is, it's it's clever, but it's not rubbing your nose in how clever it is, because the characters in it are very endearing. Um, but at the same time... Some some of the lines are amazing. I mean, Jermaine Clement is very, very good in this. He has a line, for anyone who's seen it, I, I don't want to spoil the line, but he has a line about why he would want his virgin to be like a sandwich, which um, I it is it's very, very base stuff that I thought was very funny. But there's also um, stuff like they're, they're, they're getting ready to go out. Um, but they can't see themselves in the mirror. So they have to draw pictures of each other to show them, like, what clothes, like, how they look in their clothes, which, uh, I don't know, I just thought was a really funny, yeah. quirky idea, which... Um, I'll, I'll give a good at that one. That, that, that sounds quite... Quite, I could see how that could work out. It's been quite amusing in the yeah. like, in the in the hands of, of talented comedians. That could work quite yeah. well, actually. And I mean, there's stuff like I mean, there's I don't want to give too much away, but there's one bit as well where like because they can't see themselves in the mirror, they they have fun with that. So there's one bit where they're setting they're setting it up essentially. There's like a yellow glove, and then there's another guy with a white glove, 
and the yellow glove one, and it basically you look in the mirror and it basically looks like Pac-Man chasing after one of the ghosts that Pac-Man chases after, <laughs> and it's like it's just in the mirror, so it's just this yellow glove, like just like going nom 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 nom, <laughs> and it's 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 I mean it's it's good, man. I mean it's really really funny, um, and, you know, it, it, because of all the different types of vampires it has, it kind of plays about with all the different yeah you know, the types of vampire and like yeah. you know. There's some goofy stuff with, like, a, a new vampire really wanting to fly about but being shit at it, you know, and, um, and which, you know, and it, it, which is slightly more kind of obvious stuff, but it just, it, it really, there's clever stuff in it, but you endear, they endear themselves to you really well as well, but also, it's more visually interesting than I thought it would be, um, it's you know it's quite a low budget film, but the, the you know the visual effects what there are are actually pretty good. And there's one chase through the house where there's a really surreal image where like a vampire kind of teleports himself into something and then he kind of emerges out of it, which I just you know I was just thinking like wow that's actually genuinely an interesting image. Which for this type of film you're not really expecting. Um, mm. So I and also it knows when to stop. It's 85 minutes long. Oh, good length for a comedy. Yeah, and it just it it stops just when you think right. We're, not that I'm getting bored, but like it could it could do with stopping here. It does. Yeah, you know, and and also oh, there's a good uh, there's a good little post credits bit as well. Which, uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's good. I won't spoil it, but it's, it's, it's fun. Um, so yeah, what we do in the shadows, um, I thought it lived up to the hype pretty well. Um, good. Yeah, it, 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 it does feel like the kind of slightly hipster film to like at the moment. Uh, but I'd say it's justified. Uh, made me laugh a lot. Cool, 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 cool. So uh, let's be having your one new, then, sir. My one new uh, is is a documentary, um, and it's one of those very, very niche documentaries. Um, I watched the documentary, an alternative reality, the football manager documentary. Oh my god! Okay, yes. <laughs> have you heard of this? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. Do it. Right. Um, well, actually, have you ever played uh, Football Manager or its original incarnation, Championship, uh, Championship Manager? Manager. Man. Championship Manager, yeah, ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Was, 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 was that your big one? Was my jam. Yeah, my big one was uh, Championship Manager um, zero one to zero two was the one that that really fucking got me. Oh, um, Football Manager two thousand and five as well. Yeah, uh, for anybody out there who doesn't know. Football Manager is a um, a computer game for the PC, um, where essentially... You can get it on your iPad or Android device, do it, thank us later. Is it one of those, can you do it on that as well? Oh, yeah. Uh, where essentially, uh, it originated uh, as a game called uh, Championship Manager and then became Football Manager <laughs> because of... Um, they they moved from one the, development company to another development. Yeah, company. the developers left like had a spat with the publisher, and the publisher basically said, "Well, we're keeping the name." Yeah. So um, then they made Championship Manager for a bit with a different studio, but then it was like no one cares anymore. Yeah, no one cares because um, the guys who originally developed it took, interactive. Yeah, took the took the code yeah. and took the ideas. 
uh, away with them. So it, you know, that became that's why it changed to football manager. But essentially, you are the manager of a, a football team. Um, uh, but what kind of set football manager uh, about? Um, that every other game was the fact that it had this really unbelievably dense and realistic database uh, of players. Uh, and this is what uh, an alternative reality um, kind of looks at. It, it looks at sort of two things. It's not, a, it's not a history of Football Manager the game. It's more a look at how Football Manager became this kind of this thing that it is now and it, it looks at the key reasons and the key reason was the fact that it's got this massive database football manager um the game employs i think it's 1300 scouts across the globe uh, and they have literally have a scout designated to almost every single team in the world going down to like um like um south uh, African second division clubs and stuff like that. Like they're talking to the um, the head of the uh, their South African scouting network, um, and he one of the clubs he deals with um, is um, Ajax Cape Town, and he's at Ajax Cape Town game looking at a few players and making notes and updating the database on them, and it sort of looks at that while also you have you know. You've got quite a few kind of talking heads in there, but they're people who play the game. For instance, um, the writer um, and um, sports journalist Ian McIntosh. Um, he actually wrote a book or co-wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago called Football Manager Ruined My Life. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a really interesting book to read if you've played Football Manager. Uh, and they talked to him about it, and then there's people like Rory Smith talking about it, Guy Mowbray, um the commentator, he's talking about it, and he's talking about, and he tells like a great story about the fact that he was uh, he was once commentating on a game, and when they uh, they put a team to line up out, um, Edgar Davids was playing for Juventus, and he said it, it was he said it, 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 it took him a good sort of thirty seconds to go. No, Edgar Davids plays for Real Madrid <laughs> in his head, and then it was like. Oh God, no! Is that in the game or is it in real life? And he said, That's brilliant. He said the amount of times that happens. He said, and you know, he said, I'm a, he said, I, I'm a, he said, I can't myself been a good commentator. I do my research. He said, but like, there'll be occasions in games where I'll go to say something. And I'll go, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, that's not right. That's in the game. And then they talk to people about stuff like um, the uh, there's a, there's a phrase where if you get into the football manager thing into like the forms for that called um, suited and booted, which is where if you get to a final uh, where you get to an FA Cup final or a Champions League final or something like that, do you wear a suit? And it is one of those things where it's almost like a rite of passage where you haven't got properly obsessed until you've actually gone right. No, no. No, this is the FA Cup final. I need to put a suit on. Um, you've got a guy telling a story about how the fact that he's, he's had the police come round to his house once because he was getting so animated at playing football manager. Uh, and it looks into all of these things. And it, it's it's only about uh, 72 minutes long. So it gets in, gets its story told, and gets the fuck out of there. But it's funny, it's informative, and it, it, if you've ever kind of gone down that fucking wormhole, I mean, I, I was saying my my one was uh, the um, 2000-2001 um, football manager, back when it was still uh, championship manager. Um, and I had a thing where once um, 
my wife Becky before we were married, but we were, we were still we were living together at that point. She went away for a weekend, and I was supposed to be um, going away the same weekend, but the people I was going away with cancelled at the last minute, uh, like literally, like the night before they cancelled. So I had an entire weekend off. Becky was already going away, so I thought I'm just sitting and watch a load of films. Becky set off, I think, about three o'clock on the Friday, and I thought. I did that classic thing that anybody who's played it will know. I'll have an hour. Yeah. So I went to an hour. Now, to print a context for people who haven't played it, right, you can't have an hour on Football Manager. It's impossible. You can set up a day's training session in an hour. It takes you almost a week to get through a, a transfer window. Uh, never mind a fucking an, an hour. So at three o'clock on the Friday, Becky left the house. When Becky got back on the Monday afternoon at about two o'clock, she came in and jokingly said to me, I bet you've been on that all weekend. The reality was, I actually had. Yeah. I hadn't turned it off. I had occasionally, I had, I had maybe slept for, from the Friday to the Monday for maybe two or three hours. Um, but that was um, when I sort of slept when I finished a season and then it took maybe 10 minutes for the next season, well, 20 minutes, half an hour for the next season to set up. So I slept during that time. And I ate or showered by put, playing a game on slow and running across to Gary's to get food or running and going, jumping in the shower and then coming back out. But yeah, I literally played it for like probably 24, like, like 76 hours in total, just in one sitting, uh, and I'd, I'd love to say that was that was. I mean, that's probably the pinnacle of, of my obsession. But I, I probably did clock up uh, in in like a year and a bit, maybe a month or so's worth of playing. Yeah, that's uh, bloody hell. It is. It, 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 it got to the point of where. There's, there was actually a joke in it where it, it, one of the the comedian who seems to be kind of like guiding you through the start, guiding you through the documentary. Uh, he says that he was once uh, talking to somebody about football manager uh, and he said to them, uh, oh, did, so, do you play football manager? He said, and the guy's response was, no, I, I'm, I'm five years clean. And it, I almost feel a little bit like that. I'm on football manager. I'm, um, I'm, I'm just shy of 10 years clean. It's been like 10 years since I bought it. I would love, absolutely love to go out and buy football manager. Um, uh, on like tomorrow and go I've got a week off work I can get I can get a few hours in you know I will get tired to play but no I know I, I would get tired to play football manager at work I'd get the odd hour here and now where I can go alright but I, I know what will happen it's me sat there at five in the morning <laughs> on a work night going I've won my game I've won my game I've won my game three or four times a week and it'll be me stood at some points going I need a left back who could I sign and doing that and you just get obsessed so I just don't have the time but for anybody who's played it or anybody who just wants to see the tragedy um, of of how people can get that involved in something an alternative reality the football documentary is ridiculously entertaining and it is fucking bang in and out in 70 odd minutes yeah I'm going to check that out that sounds fun it is it's a lot of fun it really is Nice man, cool. Um, <laughs> great stuff. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, cool. Okay, so um, yeah, so I'll finish off then. So my one old, 
Um, listening to a, uh, a podcast that um, I, I started listening to recently, I really enjoy called Junk Food Cinema, um, which uh, is uh, Brian Salisbury who writes for some sites. I don't know what sites he writes for, but I know he's a critic, and I've seen his name about. And um, C. Robert Cargill, um, who was previously known as Masterworm on um, Ain't It Cool News, but um, he's now a screenwriter himself. He's the guy who wrote Sinister. Mm. Um, they kind of come together and they talk about um, genre films. Um, and uh, you know, last last month they did a, a Halloween month, and this month they're doing uh, Matthew McGenre Hay, which uh, is um, a hell. It, that is a name worthy of dude, dude and a monkey for yeah, a, a yeah. season of films. Um, so they're doing the uh, genre films of Matthew McConaughey, and uh, they uh, they were actually the ones who inspired me to uh, uh, watch uh, Event Horizon, which I talked about briefly a couple of weeks back, I think. Uh, but they talked about Rain of Fire. And uh, I was just like, yeah. shit, I haven't seen that in a while. I need to need to watch that at some point. And I'm flicking through Netflix UK, and lo and behold, Rain of Fire. Fuck it. Let's stick that on then. Rain of Fire is great. Rain of Fire is great. I have a great Rain of Fire fact that I'll get to in a minute. Oh, brilliant. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you talk about the film okay. first. Good. No, good. I'm, I know. I'm intrigued now. Um, so, yeah, Rain of Fire, for those who haven't seen it, basically... Um, dragons are kind of unearthed in London and it kind of cuts to 20 years later or, or so and uh, basically there are pockets of humans but um, fuck all. Uh, you got Christian Bale who's kind of the leader of this one uh, gang of humans who uh, manage to basically keep themselves out of harm's way uh, but trouble rears its head in the, the form of uh, Van Zant played by uh, Matthew McConaughey, a very bulked up Matthew McConaughey who... Um, basically uh, wants Bale's lot to uh, help his lot uh, essentially kill the dragons once and for all, but Bale is basically playing the, I know what these fucking dragons are like, I know what you Americans are like, no thank you, we'll have none of that, thanks very much. And it kind of goes from there. Um, So yeah, directed by Rob Bowman, who I know as... uh, you know, a, a, a big X Files director, and he directed the X Files movie, uh, and then he directed this and Electra. <laughs> I don't think he's directed any films since. Um, so yeah, um, and no, I, I don't it, think he has. No. Yeah, which, which is a big, big shame because I, 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 I genuinely I haven't seen Electra. I Can I like, say that? Just, I, I say that he also directed the film Airborne. What's that now? Ah, oh, Airborne uh, is the story of uh, a kid called Mitchell uh, who uh, moves from California to Cincinnati. Uh, in California, he was a big-time surfer, and in Cincinnati, there's no beach. Uh, there's no surf. So he takes up inline skating, and uh, has to take on an inline skating crew. Was that, was that like in the 90s? Uh, funny enough, it was 1993. Jesus Christ. Um, so... Airborne. Um, I'm going to watch see, Airborne this week. Oh, fucking, I'm not. Um, <laughs> we're not covering that next time, I tell you. Um, so, uh, bloody hell. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the, the look of the film is great. It's grey and, you know, it looks digitally graded, but there's a kind of an earthy, gritty, depressingness to it, which uh, basically pervades the entire thing. Uh, which, you know, which I just, I really enjoy. Um, it's also got Christian Bale kind of doing his natural accent, which is a rare treat. Um, and just, so you don't be gruff. 
is, uh, you know, is yeah. lovely to see. And the thing is, you but you basically you have got alpha male versus alpha male here, and it's uh, but they're just of two different approaches, and it's great to see. And when they're both in action, you kind of see that they they stand toe to toe. Yeah. But it, it's the only thing that kind of like helps McConaughey's path is the fact that he's offering a new choice. It's almost like a general election where mm. it's just like, you know, every eight years or so, people are just like, oh, well, fuck this government. They're not doing that great because my life's not any better. So I may as well go with the other ones. That's kind of essentially what happens with Bell versus McConaughey here. Uh, but then it all kind of turns to shit for McConaughey as well. Um I mean, the the, C, the dragon CG is good. The action scenes are really well done. It's got the the, the fucking the fly the squirrel flying suit stuff. Like mm. ten years before Transformers: Dark of the Moon did it, and everyone jizzed all over that. Um, and, and yeah, it's here and it's awesome. Um, and you've got McConaughey being really, really passionate. And on this this podcast, Junk Food Cinema, they were they were saying that it's almost like. The last time that Matthew McConaughey, at least for a while, really, really committed to doing physical prep work for a performance. And it's almost like he got burnt from that. And then after that, he basically went into Sahara, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Failure to Launch. Ones where, you know, he has to be muscular, but he's Matthew McConaughey, he's going to be muscular. Mm. But he's not going to shave his head, and he's not going to have muscles on his shoulder muscles, and, and stuff like that. And it, I, I think that's an interesting point, because, you know, obviously Rain of Fire did absolutely fuck all when it came out. Um, but, it, I don't know, it, it has a grit, and it has an edge, and it's got a good visual style, even if it's basically grey, it's still a style and it suits the film. And, it, it, I mean, it's, it's like 100 minutes long, you know, it, it's kind of, it, it is also in and out. So, yeah, I really, really enjoy this. And as a bong it on on Netflix uh, uh, job, it really, really does the job. I want your fact. My fact is, uh, I saw an interview with Rob Bowman um, a few years after Reign of Fire was released, where he was talking about... Um, the making of Rain of Fire, and I can't remember what it was on. It might have been on like film or something like that when they were talking about when they were um, they were talking, I think, about uh, Christian Bale in particular, uh, and they were talking to him. Um, and he said that the problem we had in Rain of Fire, or our problem we had in Rain of Fire, um, was we had to put um, Christian in this big, huge jumper all of the time because um, McConaughey had got fucking ripped for it and was massive and the idea was that he was supposed to be completely overpowering to Bale but then Bale uh, was doing um, Equilibrium uh, at the time uh, just before uh, Reign of Fire and so when he turned up to do Reign of Fire he was ripped to fuck as well yeah. <laughs> and so originally it was supposed to be Bale in just like said it was supposed to be like McConaughey essentially without a shirt on and Bale in just a t-shirt and they were both supposed to look big but McConaughey was supposed to look loads bigger but then when they actually started doing it they were like shit they look literally the same size if not Bale looks a little bit fucking bigger how can we combat this so they combated it by always having Matthew McConaughey standing 
a little bit higher up than Bale, and Bale <laughs> had to wear a really big, thick knit jumper to make it look like an oversized jumper to make it look like his clothes were just kind of like hanging off him, and it was a little bit not emaciated, but not like super jacked like McConaughey was. Um, and it, it was all tied into the fact that I think when um, when I think, I think it, it was on it was on film when they were they were talking about uh, Batman Begins. Uh, and the props department was saying they had a problem with the bat suit on Batman Begins because um, Bale, when he'd signed up to do what is it, he'd got fitted for the bat suit, fucked off and lost a load of weight for the machinist, put a load of it back on for Batman and put a load of muscle back on, and it'd come back way too big and they had to make a new bat suit right. for it. So yeah, they're, they're comparing that. So yeah, that's my reign of fire fact. The reason why Christian Bale's wearing that massive jumper is because he got <laughs> he got too jacked and it it, it, it looked weird him against McConaughey. Yeah, exactly. McConaughey's beating him down. That's interesting because I was just thinking, like, through the film I was genuinely thinking, he just looks like he's going to be really warm in that fair play because it looks <laughs> yeah. cold as fuck. Yeah. So the fact that it wasn't actually really a costume designer choice, but it was more out of necessity, that's, that's funny, it, but uh, actually weirdly disappointing. Yeah, but yeah, that, 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 was, that was the reason why was he just came back uh, prepped for equilibrium too too big. It's funny. Uh, but yeah, uh, Rain of Flyer, it's, uh, it's on Netflix UK. Solid, solid watch. Yeah, absolutely. I, I absolutely agree with that. It's one I've watched a few times. It's just really good fun. Mm, absolutely. Uh, cool, man. So, uh, alright, so we'll have the uh, trailer for. I'm not even doing the name of the fucking character, <laughs> but um, it is the trailer for The Colour of Money, and we'll get into it. Paul Newman. Tom Cruise in a Martin Scorsese picture. He's got the eye, he's got the stroke, he's got the fling. This is the best. We got a racehorse here, a thoroughbred. You make him feel good, I teach him how to run. I'm not your daddy, I'm not your boyfriend, so don't be playing games with me. I'm your partner. You're an incredible flake, but that's a gift. Money. I got half of me that says I got a hold of the best thing that I ever seen, and half of me that says it just ain't worth it. Why'd you take a while? 500 bucks says you choke right now. You used me! Yes, I did. I'm gonna leave. This is Fan City Felson. Who the hell are you? 25 years ago, I won my share of medals. But it was over for me before it really got started. Hungry again. See some heavy legend action. I won his best game. You want my game? You couldn't deal with my game, Jack. You're outmanned. I'm gonna beat him, you know. What makes you so sure? Touchstone Pictures presents. You smell what I smell. Smoke? Money. The color of money. Uh, 
Okay, so The Colour of Money is directed by Martin Scorsese and stars Paul Newman, Tom Cruise, Mary Elizabeth, Master Antonio, uh, John Turturro, Bill Cobb, Helen Shaver. Uh, that's probably about all I need to mention, really. Uh, so, uh, Fast Eddie Felsen, played by Paul Newman again, is uh, back, and uh, he is basically, uh, he, he's kind of like a booze seller, and uh, he has his ears pricked uh, one night when he... Here's um, a kid playing pool, uh, Vincent, played by Tom Cruise, and he thinks, huh, maybe we like we could make some money out of this kid. So uh, he basically kind of slightly cheats his way into uh, getting the kids to kind of agree to it for him to be his uh, his kind of manager, trainer kind of guy. Um, and the kid also has a girlfriend whose name I can't remember, but she's played by Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio, uh, who is a little bit dodgy herself. Um, uh, Carmen? Carmen, is she called? Carmen, maybe, yeah. yeah. Um, she loves Vince, thank you. Um, she loves Vince, but, you know, she, you know, there's a little element, a bit of an element of is she playing him as well, and, uh, the three of them kind of go on the road together, and uh, Vince's uh, lust for winning rubs up against uh, uh, Eddie's uh, lust for making money by maybe not winning all the time. Mm. Uh, so, Mark, The Colour of Money. Yeah, it, it was quite strange. I mean, I watched, I watched both The Hustle and The Colour of Money today. I watched them early today, so I watched them almost back, well, actually back to back the minute um, The Hustle finished, I started watching The Colour of Money. So it, it was quite nice to have that, that flow of one running into the other. Um, and what was strange was, was it, it, it took a while for The Colour of Money to start to feel um, like a Scorsese movie, uh, whereas what was the juxtaposition with that was that the hustler felt a bit you know very much like it was an influence on Scorsese um it, it also I think the currently it feels a little bit like the story was a little bit confused in itself it's not quite as polished as something like the hustler mm. uh, in terms of its story uh, and it, it can't make its mind up at points whether or not it's about Paul Newman or it's about Tom Cruise Fucking right, yeah. luckily um, for it, it it decides to put more of its money on Paul Newman than Tom Cruise uh, because Tom Cruise essentially is playing quite a, quite an unlikable character in this, this movie Um so it's better that you spend more time with um, Fast Eddie than you do with Vince in it. But yeah, it, it, it's it's a funny one in that it it starts really well, gets quite baggy, and then it starts to it get kind of starts to pull itself back towards the end. Um, but I don't know, it's it's an interesting one. What what where where are you standing on it? Yeah, I mean. It- the second half of the film is way better than the first half of the film, I think. Yeah. Um, it... The, the thing is, up until... I mean, maybe even the first... The, the, the last third is better than the first two thirds might be might be a better way of putting it. Um, mm. every, the stuff leading up to Eddie basically kind of giving up... Well, no, I mean, the, the scene preceding it where he's hustled by Forrest Whitaker, which is yeah. a great sequence... Mm. Everything before that, it's a little bit standard issue, right? We know, we know how this is going to play out. There's not really that much character work being done because it's essentially repetitive scenes of Vince like overegging the pudding and uh, you know, and Eddie storming out 
and then one of them saying to the other, oh, give me another chance, and then the other one deciding, yeah, all right, then I will. And then it's a little bit rinse and repeat with occasional scenes of um, Carmen maybe looking like she wants to fuck Paul Newman, but maybe not, and what's going on there. Mm. When it when it calms down, and like you say, when it focuses on Eddie, it it gets a lot better. But I will also say that... It, it, I mean, it feels completely separate from The Hustler, and if you didn't have Fast Eddie, you, you, you wouldn't need that much more character, like stuff at the beginning to kind of introduce his, uh, the, the, his character, and then it could just be its own separate film. Um, and I mean, I think it's interesting that, you know, there are passing references to the events of The Hustler, but, it, 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 you know, almost all of it is forgot, it, it's, it's kind of forgotten about, you know, the fact that he, you know, he does actually make a big show of himself again. You'd almost kind of expect George C. Scott to kind of like come out of the woodwork and yeah. like get it, like have him murdered or something, you know, like it, it's, it's, it, it's very bitty and it's very flighty. And I'm also a little bit confused as to what its intentions are for fast Eddie. If I'm absolutely honest, um, I'll get this out of the way. Now the ending of the film, I don't know whether I'm supposed to read the ending and how I interpret the ending myself as whether Eddie saying I'm back is an uplifting thing or if it's uh, he's basically being dragged into that world again. That's rather depressing. Um, I think I think it's, it's very much a mixture of of both. I think I think it, it's it's him realizing, you know. I've been kidding myself for all these years. And almost like he bought into when um, George C. Scott said, don't ever enter a pool hall again. Um, and, like, you get the idea that maybe he actually he hasn't really and that he hasn't picked up a cue in 25 years. And that the minute he picked up that cue and was kind of inspired by Tom Cruise's uh, character, that he's gone, do you know what? It might not be good for me. It might be... It might be the, the the reason why I've made a success of myself is because I kicked this game, but fuck it, I'm back. But I mean, I mean, like just like the, the scene, you know, at the end you've got like um, Helen Shaver like um, kind of comforting him, and he's talking about the Bahamas and whatnot, and then he's he's saying, "I just want one honest game," and then when he's when he's playing a real game. And when he starts playing that real game, he's like, "If I don't beat you today, I'm going to beat you next month in Dallas, and I'm going to, or I'll beat you next month in New Orleans." And it, it, it's just a bit, it, it, and the fact that his his girlfriend basically sits off to the side, and the camera moves away from her, and you don't see her again. And it's just a bit like, is he is he just going to fall into this again? Is he going to leave another woman by the wayside and not realise what he's got? You know, at the end of the Hustler, he's he's realised what it is to be a winner and what it is to be a loser. Whereas at the end of the color of money, it kind of feels like he's swapped those meanings round again. Yeah. It, it's, it's one of those things where he, he, an overlying theme through both of them is that, that he's never done pull for the money. It's always been about proving that he's the best. And the idea I think in the color of money is he thinks he's going to actually prove he's the best. In this, and then once he finds out that um, that the game was that, that that Vince threw the game, it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not the best because I think he was the best here. 
so I need to go back and beat and beat him. I, I, it, it is. I, I can see what you mean. It is. It's, it's a. It's a funny ending. Is in the, like you say, is it? It's clearly. It's clearly not good for him <laughs> being in that world, but it seems to be the world that he wants to be in. Mm, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I think that aspect of Tom Cruise throwing the game's interesting as well because it's not one hundred percent clear whether you know he threw the game, you know, because he was trying to help Eddie out, or he threw the game and claimed he was helping Eddie out because he didn't know that whether he actually gave his real game, whether he would actually be able to beat, beat him or not. Yeah, you know, which, which, is, which is a fun way of playing it, I think, yeah. There's, 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 there are ways that you can interpret these things, which, which, I mean, which are genuinely interesting, but it just... It, it, it doesn't flow as well no. as... As the hustler does, and you know when you view it, because oh, I watched the hustler yesterday and I watched the cover of money today, and it just when you compare them side by side, it Eddie, I mean like Newman's performance of Eddie feels consistent enough. He does feel like he could be fast Eddie twenty five years later. Yeah, but it just it's weird. I don't know what the like the, what the coming about of the, of this film was, whether it was like, like a Newman led thing or whether it was almost like a, a you know, a, a kind of an excuse to get Tom Cruise to play against Paul Newman or something. It's, um, I, 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 I don't know. And I mean, I will say as well, I mean, I agree as well. I think Tom Cruise is not very charismatic in this at all. No. And it's like, he's playing the Mexican non-union equivalent of Paul Newman in the hustler. He, he, he looks a little bit, and this is kind of. Uh, he, he looks a little bit like they 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 actually they wanted Charlie Sheen, but he was too busy making Platoon, so they turned up and said to Tom Cruise, "Right, we're going to get Charlie Sheen's hair. Could you just play it like Charlie Sheen would play it?" Tell you what, Charlie Sheen would have been really good in it as well. Because the, the the thing that's really really obnoxious about Tom Cruise in this is all that kind of karate shit. He yeah, does. and his like his over the top stuff at the pool table, and it, it it just you know even when he's he's kind of winning the the day against people like that you, you're not supposed to like it is a little bit. I kind of wish these people would actually beat him, which he, he's, maybe he's, that's intended. But. Yeah, he's way too smug. In it, yeah, um, and, and you know maybe that is intended, and this, you know, Cruise, we've said it before on the podcast, uh, it is you know it's no coincidence that that Tom Cruise in his career has worked with Coppola, Buzz Scott, Scorsese, Oliver Stone, you know Rob Reiner, Sidney Pollock, you know, De Palma, Kubrick, um, Paul Thomas Anderson, Spielberg. He's worked with pretty much everybody. And it's no coincidence because it's two things. One, he goes looking for working with great directors. And two, there's something there with him. There, there just is. I think he's just a little bit miscast in this. Yeah, I'd go with that. Um, I, I mean, I, I, even though I think, in a way, some of it's intended, but it does it does just feel like he's he's playing it at 10 when maybe he should be playing it at 8. Yeah. It's it just a, a little bit... A little bit much, but I mean, it's that cocky exuberance kind of thing. But it, I, I mean, it, it does great. Um, but I mean, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio is is good in it. Um, you know, she kind of gets less to do as the film goes on. And you know, once Newman's basically like like said to her, right, what are we gonna fuck, or are you just gonna stop playing around with me 
stop showering with the door open, all that kind of shit. And then after that, it's almost, it's kind of, if you want to read it this way, it's almost like her power's taken away. Yeah. Yeah, like, like she's she's dangling it all in front of Tom Cruise, and, and essentially, I mean, Newman calls it and says, you know, I will, you work on that bit, because that's how you're controlling him, um, and she does by literally at one point going up to him and saying, if you, if you don't stop winning, then I'm gone. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, she's that, and she thinks she can sort of manipulate Paul Newman a little bit that way. And the minute he goes, it don't fucking work with me, sweetheart. Then, like you say, that's gone. And the minute that Cruz's cockiness gets takes over that a little bit more, and he realizes that she needs off screen, you get the feeling that that, he, that uh, Vince realizes that she needs him more than he needs her. Mm. You know, if she fucks off. He's still going to be a really good pool player. Yeah. You know, if he fucks off, she, well, she doesn't have a really good pool player to, to, to live off anymore. Mm. It, it's kind of, it's kind of that, that, that he essentially starts treating her like shit. Yeah. Is the I mean, idea you get. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I, I, it's, it's not a film of strong female characters. I mean, Helen Shaver, bless her, she just, you know, she turns up, gets kind of charmed by Paul Newman, spends half the film off, and then comes back in the last 20 minutes, then basically gets ignored up by him again after two scenes. Yeah. You know, it's, um, but, I mean, it's... The the, 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 the fast Eddie Felsen Chronicles are a man's tale. You know, it, it's... Yeah. I, I mean, and and it, what it has to say about what it is, you know, what it is to be a man or to feel like a man more specifically. And the, the, the hustler... I don't know, the, the endings of The Hustle and The Colour of Money are kind of two weirdly kind of mirroring things, but I don't know, kind of, I, I, it's weird that, like, the, on the face of it, the both endings are positive, but I, 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 mean, I, I think with The Colour of Money, some could say the ending is positive straight up, but I, I don't see that. It feels like, to me, that he's just going to sink in this quicksand again. Yeah, no, I don't agree with that, yeah. You know, but I mean, to the Scorsese-ness of it all, I mean, the, uh, basically the Scorsese stuff really comes in the swirling around the camera dialogue scenes. Yeah. Um, and the, the pool table action, you yeah, know, like the, 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 the shots of the balls. Yeah, the pool table action almost feels a little bit like, um, like Scorsese's, uh, Using the way that he did the the, the boxing scenes in Raging Bull, uh, it, it feels almost like that. Like he wants to take you straight into it. There's actually a bit where you've got you hear you're hearing that that noise, that over uh, egg pool noise, uh, essentially, and you're seeing like a few of the balls sort of flying across the screen from like a, a top angle. And then all of a sudden, it's just loads of balls just kind of going in and just loads of that noise and then it, it's that sweeping camera that's when it starts to feel more like like Scorsese but there are bits a little bit for about there's 20-30 sort of minute bits in the film where you go this, this it doesn't feel Scorsese yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's Scorsese for hire, you know, which you can't say much of these days, but that's certainly what it is here. But I don't know. I mean, he 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 has interest in it. It just it doesn't quite feel like. It, it just seems like the. I mean, I mean, I mean, it, in this film won Oscars, didn't it as well? Actually, I think. 
Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Newman won an Oscar for Best Leading, oh, Best Actor. Actually, yeah. uh, and he got nominated for a few, but it, it just feels like, maybe because I watched it straight after The Hustler, <laughs> uh, it, it just, it, it felt like it just didn't work at points. It's still a, it's still a definitely not shit, because it's definitely not shit. Yeah, yeah, sure. But it's, it gets a little bit kind of muddled, I think. Oh, yeah, I mean, it, like you say, the, the middle is baggy and it, it doesn't quite know who it's actually supposed to be focusing on for a, a good portion of the film, but when it does, it, it gets it gets a lot better. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, shit, okay, so that's the end of that then. Alrighty, so uh, that's going to do it for that part of the marathon, I'm not saying the name. Um, what, what's coming up next on that? Is it um, Age of Innocence? Uh, I think it is the Age of Innocence, yeah. Because we got that and then Kundun and then bringing out the dead. Yes, yes, Age of Innocence. That's a... I'm looking forward to that, actually. I haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah, and we're, we're coming into the first of two of them that I've actually never seen, so um, I'm very intrigued. Um, yeah, I've not seen the Age of Innocence since I saw it at the cinema. Shit is off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would see The Age of Innocence at the cinema on my own. I was 11. <laughs> Fucking hell. I know. I think I would see it for my birthday. My 11th birthday. That's fucking amazing. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Well, I always, got, I always got the cinema on my birthday. Always. Um, and, and for instance, on it's my birthday on Tuesday, I'm going with Becky. We're going to see The Drop. Uh, which I'm very much looking forward to. Mm. Um, but I always go on my birthday, but uh, when I was growing up, um, it, I, I used to, more often than not, on my, go on my own on my birthday. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm sure I went to see that on my 11th birthday. Bloody hell. I was already into Scarsese at the time, you see. Fair enough. Okay, so Age of Innocence next week. Uh, Twitter questions, Mark. Do you know what they are? I think we've only got just just the one this fucking week. Fucking date rapist. I know it's fucking terrible. Bunch of fuck. You know, you need to pull your finger out, motherfuckers. Uh, it is from apart from apart from uh, TGP seventy three, the Ginger Prince, uh, who says it's November. Which mustache gives the best cinematic performance? Um. Ron Burgundy's. Oh, that's a good one. The the shot of um, him where he's on the uh, the diving board, and he's talking about this uh, very important breaking development. It's yeah. Just a shot of his mustache, basically, <laughs> just kind of going up and down. That's that's pretty gold. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say um, Sam Elliott's in Tombstone. That's fucking solid. Sam Elliott's mustache in any. Yeah, it, it, I, I actually can't remember Sam Elliott's character at all from Thank You for Smoking. It's just it's just a blank face and a mustache. Fair enough. That's good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would. Yeah, Sam Elliott's entire career has been a mustache. Let's be honest. It's an it's an incredibly impressive mustache. Nice. So that's going to do it for questions. Um, all right. So uh, bloody hell. Um, Right, are we actually doing a show next week? Uh, oh, that, that's a that's a very good point. We will be. Uh, it might, which might not be recording on um, on Sunday because it'll be in Manchester. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll have to. Um, I don't know what the fuck we're gonna do. Actually, 
you know, there might be a show, there might not. It will just be what um, Mark and I get arranged, but we'll uh, we'll see. We're um, basically, I mean, like Donna and I are going away for the weekend, and part of that is actually going to Manchester, where we're going to meet up with uh, uh, Mark and Becky and Noel and Claire and um, uh, baby Charlie, and we're taking Lottie up. So it should be a should be a laugh, but it does yeah. mean that we're probably not going to be recording because I don't think. I don't think the the ladies would appreciate if we just like fucked off for an hour and a half and did a did a recording session. So well, we, we might we might record during the week. Uh, it might there might be a, a brief break next week. Yeah, but we'll we'll see. So um, yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll be back next week or in a couple of weeks. The only thing we've got confirmed is. Uh, the Scorsese Marathon, and uh, you got anything else to say, Mark? Uh, no, no, not at all uh, at the moment. Uh, but thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, as ever, um, do the monkey at gmail dot No, that's not right, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's right. Yep, totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> do the monkey at gmail uh, Do the monkey on the Twitter uh, at doofors at Ian Laurie. As we always say, send us questions at any point during the week. If you listen to the show and you think of a question, bang, send it off, and we'll we'll keep it and we'll answer it. Boom. That's it. That's okay then, guys. So, uh, thank you very much, and we shall see you later on. Bye. Bye.